We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined, as always, by Mario Puig. The quarantine additions continue to roll as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. Mario, how are you doing, man? Oh, fine. You know, uh, as good as everyone else, I guess. Have you, um, what's the diet looking like right now? Oh, it's gotten weird. Um, so I basically only eat one meal a day now. Okay. And uh, it's dinner. I just kind of don't get hungry anymore. And even dinner I only eat because uh, I get the shakes kind of. Like I just kind of tip over when I stand up, things like that. So um, I don't know. I'll, ha- I'll have a – like I, I generally don't eat meat. And if I do, it's usually fish. So uh, each, each like emergency run to the grocery store, I'll get like a frozen – fish thing and a bunch of uh you know tofu and tempeh stuff because uh i'm just kind of like that and uh, lots of pasta lots of rice we'll make some rice and beans with sofrito in between uh the pasta days uh, some frozen pizzas in there 
but yeah, it's it's a uh, no produce, not for a while anyway. Have I had any? I, I was looking into a CSA or something, but then there's these recommendations about uh, you should scrub your food with water and soap. And I'm like, what the hell? That's that's. I mean, I guess if you have to, it just sounds insane to me. It's like I'll I'll just try eating a. I'm like a recreational a soap eater. I don't like to be told to do it. Yeah, I mean, I get like this would be the time, if ever, to eat soap, but I just, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather go with the frozen option first, I guess. Okay, respect to that. Yeah, I've I've managed to hold out. I guess like the grocery store near me in town has still managed to keep its its like produce and, and fresh meat supply in pretty good order. So I it hasn't changed my diet a ton, but it, it I'm definitely like averse to growing go, just like kind of willy nilly g- going to the grocery store. So occasionally I'll, I'll run out and kind of have to make uh, a classic bachelor chow meal. You know, like a scrambled eggs or or um. You know, like chill, like a canned chili and pasta type of you know bull crap yeah. that like they would make fun of on on Futurama or something, something that like Fry would would eat and call a gourmet meal. Um, but other than that, I've been holding up reasonably well as far as the food stuff goes. So lucky in that regard for sure. Yeah, I I guess I could do that takeout stuff that so many people do, but I'm afraid to do that even. So. Um, I'm mostly just kind of seeing how long I can live on boxes of pasta, uh, couscous, things like that. And, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a dirt bag. I don't move around that much unless I have to. So it might be a long time. <laughs> I'm kind of picturing you. Um, have you ever seen the film, the bench warmers? No. Okay. Nick Swartzen's character, Howie, um, and, okay. and, and the being afraid of the, of the delivery guys and the takeout guys kind of, kind of reminded me of that. Uh, maybe some of our listeners reasons, will, will pick guessing. up on that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I like Nick Swartzen from Reno 911, so I guess I'll have to give that a look. <laughs> that movie is is bad, but like in a way where it's almost endearingly good. It, it, there's some there's some pretty funny stuff in there. You would say, okay, just to be clear, I hear people use the word bad talking about movies that they like a certain way. Uh, you would say MacGruber is actually just a good movie, right? 100%. Okay, yeah, because I was like, hey, if it's... I, I I guess it would have been encouraging if you considered MacGruber bad and also this movie bad, but it's like I, I guess I I probably will skip it actually. I might I might just look up some other Nick Swardson thing that has higher reviews and watch that instead. Okay, yeah, I mean if you're not uh, a huge Happy Madison production house type of guy, then what is that? Is that is that Adam Sandler? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I guess the last one of those things that I watched was uh, Little Nicky or something. Uh, <laughs> there, there have been some some good bad ones uh, in the mix since then. I know Sandler caught a lot of crap all the way up until Uncut Gems, but there, there's some movies that uh, you know secretly I, I enjoy. I don't broadcast to the world except oh, we are uh, on a podcast, so I'm I'm just gonna shut up now and not talk about how much I like That's My Boy or anything like that. Um, Embarrass yourself further. <laughs> Yeah, I, I recuse myself from this discussion. All right, let's. Uh, so we started a dynasty draft, the Rotowire staff, uh, spearheaded by you. Uh, we are going to get to that. That's going to make up the meat of today's podcast. Um, but before we get into that, I want to get into some of the kind of fantasy relevant draft rumors that that have been floating around in in the last few days uh ones that are you know impacting guys that are going to be going in our fantasy drafts or already have been um so let's let's just get right into it i saw you tweeting earlier today about tua what's going on there well armando salguero from i think the miami herald he's a miami dolphins beat writer uh has been for a long time he has been saying 
even before today, I want to say like as far as even like two months ago, he was saying that some assemblage of sources that he has near the Dolphins was saying that they might prefer Justin Herbert over Tua. And this was, again, a couple months ago. And at the time he was saying it was because basically like Herbert's bigger, you know, and doesn't have the hip issue. Um, the, the other, whatever it was, ankle surgeries either. He, he doesn't have those like Tua does. So Salguero said that back then. And then he said it again today in like slightly more aggressive terms. Like he was saying something like uh, he, he was hearing that Tua might fall out of the top, top, uh, the top 10 because of worries about the hip. And I don't know if that means anything's changed or if he's kind of like trying to get more mileage out of a report that he basically already gave two months ago. I don't know if something changed at all or if we're just kind of getting bored and idle in, in, in these, you know, trapped in these news cycles where nothing's actually happening. Uh, but it's it's something that makes sense to me as a concern for, you know, at least a handful of teams that the the problem is it's like, do we know whether those teams are actually in the top 10 or are they speculating from outside of it? Uh, the sources that he's talking to, what motives do they have? Or do they have a real reason to be totally honest with this guy or anybody else? I really have no idea. But just looking at the way the NFL usually receives rookie quarterbacks, it's like Kyler Murray was a, a rare exception. And uh, you look more typically, it's like you get the Russell Wilson kind of treatment. You get even, or at least the Johnny Manziel kind of treatment where he went in the late first round. Um, even like Lamar Jackson, I don't even think it was just because of the style of play that he has, that he was, he was shunned. Like they really do have a thing where they're like, you can't be a, a certain sort of skinny at quarterback and you got to be a certain height at quarterback. And uh, two is decently built for six foot. But six foot, it's like you, you don't usually get treated like Kyler Murray and, and Baker Murfield, uh, Mayfield when you're that uh, short. Usually you get penalized for it, and usually they'll look for any reason to penalize you for it. And this hip surgery, uh, the previous – did you say it was ankle troubles? Yeah, he had, had, he had um, tightrope surgery on, I believe, both ankles from having high ankle sprains. So, yeah, this is a three-year starter ending up like this. Like it's, it's just kind of it, – it, it's not – something that they're generally uh, charitable and generous about from the NFL. They're, they're usually going to be pretty skeptical of a player with that kind of injury history. And if they're a short quarterback, I don't know. It's, it seems like the kind of thing that the NFL traditionally will penalize a bit. So I feel like I, I hadn't heard, you know, in all the things that, you know, you could theoretically ding Tua on, um, I hadn't heard height be really one of those things, and maybe that's because the paradigm shift, thanks to guys like Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, uh, even Baker Mayfield, like you said. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say I'm like pushing back, but like I, I just feel like I haven't heard that um, like the height is is the limiting factor for for Tua. It's more right. because he he is densely built, but so you would think that that would help him in terms of being being durable but that it obviously has and he holds on to the ball a long time and you know ends up taking these massive hits that end up you know causing pretty legit serious injuries and in, in the case of the hip injury one that's basically unprecedented on a football field and we we really he is kind of patient zero as far as uh what what kind of football he can play after suffering that injury. I mean, it's an injury that, you know, has been characterized as one that, you know, you, you see from a car accident type of thing, not not something that happens in uh, on like a, the plane of sports necessarily. So uh, for him to undergo 
the medical recheck last week, and apparently the imaging was sent out uh, to all 32 teams. And I think you know there is some you know you're talking about some back channeling, some you know who's saying what. You need to you need to take into account that sort of thing. So uh, the uh, report was pushed over to ESPN and, and I, I guess NFL Network too. Um, but initially, uh, it was from I think Lee Steinberg or whatever uh, his agency corporation is that that, to, that represents Tua. Yeah, so to be clear, the the height thing, I only mention that uh, not not to say that it's uh, not like it's a material concern in itself when it's raised, but that it's just one of those things. I feel like the NFL would sooner look past his injury history if he was 6'4", 220, ah. than the build that he actually has. Like, if Justin Herbert had the same injuries as him, I think they wouldn't penalize Herbert as much as they would be generally inclined to of, of a player with Tua's sort of build. So I could be wrong. Like maybe, maybe the paradigm has totally changed to the point that it doesn't really calculate that way. I just think that even these guys who are short, who are going high, it's generally the case that there's still an exception of some sort. And I just think it's harder to be that exception when you have an injury history like two, it does. Sure. Yeah. No, that, that's a really good way of framing it. Um, and really the, the only way you, you can really make the exceptions for it is throwing on the film. And it, I think if, you know, when you do that, when you analyze him and then you look at the other quarterbacks and, you know, it seems like Burrow being the lock for, for the number one overall pick and obviously the number one quarterback here, you have to move the discussion now to a injury red flag riddled to a versus a guy in Justin Herbert who doesn't have those same concerns and does have the, you know, in theory, the more durable build to him, even though he he's the more mobile guy. He's the guy that, um, you know, gets out and runs the ball a little bit more, exposing himself to hits. Uh, no one ever seems to really mention that because he, his injury history isn't very significant, but uh, he, did, he did have like a broken collarbone right. early on in his college career. But um, when you look at the film between these two guys, I mean, at least for me, two is just head and shoulders a better quarterback, though. Yeah, that's one of those things that I just personally don't feel very confident uh, grading. Uh, at least, like, I don't want to grade them on that particular basis as as the main emphasis. Like, Tua's stats basically are as good as his tape. Like, it's it's. You can tell he's not the typical SEC quarterback. He's not the typical Alabama quarterback. And yet it still is one of those things like I don't quite immediately recognize his game as something that I've already seen in the NFL. And in the case of a guy like Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson, I can at least look at the running threats that they pose and kind of reason that it's easier for a player like them to be an exception. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it's just it's like one of those things also if if. Herbert had those four receivers at Alabama uh, at Oregon, or if, even if he just played at Alabama instead of Oregon, I feel like he would look quite a bit better too, because like Dylan Mitchell was far and away the best receiver that he had there. And uh, I guess there were some character issues with him, but it's like, he has not been received really at all by the NFL. Uh, it's like Jawan Johnson is okay. I guess Micah Pittman was a true freshman. Uh, Jalen red isn't any real player. I don't think. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where, Tua, yes, he had great tape and he made some memorable plays, put up memorable numbers. But if he hadn't with those receivers, then it basically means he would be bad. And so it's it's like he checked the box, but that's all I can take it for. And then when there's this, the other concerns, I can't really rank him ahead of Herbert. They're, they're just kind of like the same to me. And, and uh, 
I think they're going to go five and six or something like that, be it, you know, two to the Dolphins or Herbert to the Dolphins. I don't really know. Um, I feel like also I, there's this there's this thing with this report from Salguero and it comes out and then like two hours later, Ian Rappaport tweets out, uh, by the way, the, the Lions are getting some interest in that third pick and, and they're, they could really like to trade back here. And it's like, who's going to trade up to three for anybody other than uh, Tua? And so if that report came out, then it's like maybe some of these reports about Tua doing so well might be coming from the Lions or somebody tr- trying to get them to trade up for that pick. I have no idea, but it's it's like basically a lot of people are lying right now. Oh, yeah. And when we're dependent on truthful depictions of this unprecedented injury recovery, then it's just it's more smoke than usual. It feels like there's there's kind of like there's just kind of more heat uh, with make, making this sort of selection than, than there normally is for this kind of quarterback pick in this kind of range of the draft. It feels more risky than it's supposed to be to me. Um, but I don't know if they if they if the scouts really believe he's an uncommonly naturally talented passer, then yeah, maybe they'll look past it. But uh, I just I don't even really need to convince myself that I like Herbert that much for me to get kind of at least leery of the assumption that Tua will go first. I I feel like it's a coin flip kind of thing. Okay, um, when I was asked about it on the, on the radio yesterday um, down in Orlando, um, the, uh, the the question was essentially like. Why do you think, you know, teams would go ahead and grade Herbert over Tua? And it's like, you know, given the weird nature of this year's uh, draft process with, you know, players basically not being able to go uh, to in-person interviews and things, you know, kind of having to be, you know, based on trust and and what I'm sending you, uh, you have to take at face value type of thing uh, and teams not being able to actually like have Tua in their building, um, that can lead to if you had concerns about the recovery from the hip injury, even though they they, they had that medical recheck last week, if that's an, a big enough red flag for you, then yeah, I mean you look at a guy like Justin Herbert who is prototypical size. He's got you know incredible athleticism. The the combine that he put on was really really impressive, and he's yeah. you know on film he does have the stronger arm. Like I, I'm not denying that. So there, it's not that. I think Herbert's a bad prospect by any means, but um, I do think two is better. But at the same time, with you know, with the caveat of that of that hip injury, I can see where teams would be leery uh, about Tua to the point where they just go with the more sure thing—a guy that they know for sure is going to get on the field and be the same guy uh, that he was in college uh, with Herbert. Yeah, and with Herbert at this point, uh, between his numbers and his tape and his workout metrics i think i'm settling in on a comparison of maybe carson wentz and maybe that's too optimistic i don't know but the thing is if if anyone thinks that justin herbert is that sort of prospect or even close really then it's just one of those things like for tua to be ahead of him would be generally unprecedented like it would be anomalous relative to the general uh, history of the nfl and how they received quarterbacks and then to, to make that uncertainty option over someone who you, who you think could plausibly be like Wentz. It's just one of those things like I need to be more worried about Herbert. I have to think he's worse before I'm, I'm desperate enough to take that kind of risk, at least at least to take that kind of risk enthusiastically. Like maybe I'll take two at five or six, but I, I'm not feeling exactly uh, bold and reassured about it. I'm, I'm more like crossing my fingers and closing my eyes kind of thing. Uh, so I don't know that 
that seems like a lot of risk to me at, at the fifth pick with an option like Herbert on the board. If he's off the board, then it's more like, yeah, I guess you got to take Tua here. But when they're both on the board at the fifth pick, I can't really argue against Herbert. Okay. And then, you know, th- this is a little bit more of a, a jumping off point and, and a little bit of just like overall analysis. But um, so say the Chargers end up with Tua. Man, talk about a team that has been ridiculously snake bitten by injury luck. Um, I don't yeah. know what, what the deal is with that necessarily. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like it almost like the, the Blazers are kind of famous for having like some some kind of crazy medical staff a little bit uh, on the NBA side of things. And like, I, I just wonder in terms of like getting snake bit a little bit. So, uh, man, I, I feel like the chart like there's bad juju if he goes to the chargers a little bit. So yeah, it's like maybe, maybe some of this pessimistic reporting is from people near the chargers who are saying like, Oh, they, they want Herbert not to, uh, I don't know. There's the, it, it would be kind of just an, an unusually generous reception from the league for them to just take him in the top 10 and have no qualms about it. It strikes me as the kind of pick that a team that is cornered, would make and uh, you know maybe maybe the Chargers just say we can't do better than this we got to take him maybe they try to trade back and let someone else take Tua I have no idea um, maybe, maybe the maybe the maybe the Raiders trade up to the Chargers who knows um, but uh, in any case I, I just don't think it should be taken for granted that Tua goes first between him and Herbert and I don't think either of them goes before the fifth pick. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you uh, on on neither of them going before the fifth. I, I think that um, the the Lions are definitely hoping that there that there's a nice offer out there to to get them out of pick number three. They get to go back to five or six and still end up with Akuda and a little bit more uh, draft capital. But um, I, I think that both the Chargers and the Dolphins kind of know the score here and know that they can probably uh, wait. Um, I, I guess the Chargers would have to trade up ahead um, and they, they don't have the firepower that the Dolphins do, but uh, we'll, right. we'll see what happens uh, with that. Um, let's move on over to Brandon Ayuk. Uh, I saw that he got mocked towards the end of the first round going to the Titans, I believe, on an NFL.com uh, mock draft. Um, I know that he's been a tough nut to crack uh, for you. Uh, so what do you what do you make of this like alleged helium here? Uh, is this one of those things that, that ties in with are we are we just bored now? And, you know, he, he kind of came up when you spin the wheel of guys that could be going after Justin Jefferson in the first round and his name came up. And, and there you go. You just mocked to, uh, you know, generate some conversation. Well, I think it's kind of um, the, the scouts, the old NFL guard and their media connections, the people that they're friendly with in, in media. I think they're kind of just getting a little bored and they, they had this opinion of Brandon Ayuk as this high evaluation of him, which is fine. I think it's reasonable to, to consider Brandon Ayuk a first round talent. I don't quite myself, um, but I think he's a good player. So, you know, I don't, I don't really care about reaching a little bit if the player that you get is, is good in the end. Um, but you get these little culture war things that flare up every single year with, with the draft and, and especially those uh, Bob McGinn anonymous scout guys it's like they hang out with you know bob mcginn and probably like greg cosell and and uh, the naggy guy and and daniel jeremiah's a little bit proximate to these people like lance zierlein's probably in on this circle and um they just for some reason had this media like i don't think it was actually coordinated but it's like you can tell these guys were hanging out recently and all talking about the same stuff because within a couple days you get a few like jeremiah Kind of, kind of started reiterating like Brandon Ayuk's going in the first, and uh, 
I think Cosell was one of those people. Maybe I'm wrong about Cosell, but Adam Kaplan definitely did post something. Um, I don't remember if it was yesterday or a couple days ago already, um, but it was basically like, oh, well, these Internet scouts who don't like Brandon Ayuk can, can you know, <laughs> go walk off. Of, no, he didn't. He didn't say anything like that. But it was, it was like some just generic like, oh, well, these Internet losers think they know so much. And these the guys real receivers spend coaches. hours and hours a day doing it, doing basically yeah. the same thing I'm doing, but I get paid more for it. Never mind. Yeah, you, uh, you internet scouts are, are the losers who probably didn't didn't realize why Riley Ridley was better than Mecole Hardman. Guys like us who are who know the real receiver coaches could tell you that you know Riley Ridley is, is the better option. Uh, so yeah, the, the, these guys, of course, you know wide receiver coaches know things that we don't. Uh, they know how to play wide receiver, but that's different from knowing who among wide receiver prospects is going to be the best in the league. Like basically. I, what I see as, as like the, the real service of wide receiver coaches and like coaches generally who know the technical aspects of football, it's like they can tell you who's best at doing the stuff, the tasks of a position in terms of the skill pertaining directly toward that task. But the questions that also matter, questions like, well, who's going to be better two years from now at this? Like, who's going to uh, best develop their skill set because of the tools that they have to do so? Like, who grades out the best in those aspects? Those are questions that they don't ask themselves because they don't matter to them. They're just wide receiver coaches, you know? Like, they're, they're supposed to yell at this guy for not having good enough technique in this regard or another. Like, they don't they're not trained in in you know projecting and handling assets not that we are either but it's like at least we care about the question like we're asking the question these guys are not asking the question so they'll part of it turns into like a groupthink thing within the industry too it's like if enough influential scouts believe one thing then the rest you know peer pressure if nothing else will probably go along to some extent but for some reason they've rallied around Brandon Ayuk and and uh, I don't know who it's who it's in conflict with if it's like if if the the IU hype is is pushing back against like Rager fans or Mims fans or Justin Jefferson fans I don't know what it is I they might have just gotten bored and gotten mad about something for no reason and started posting about it that's totally possible um, but yeah they t- they they you know they threw the flag down they're 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 fighting on this hill for Brandon Ayuk and that they are means that the league probably is going to take him in the first 40 picks and I guess probably the first round because um, these guys are near the league. They know people in the league. Their um, th- their opinions basically matter more than, than opinions like ours do. Um, so it's 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 looking like Ayuk is going to go really high in the draft. I basically just feel like even if he's good, that's still a mistake because I can't see any case for Brandon Ayuk that isn't also and even foremost a case for Rager. Uh, it's just one of those things like they ostensibly do the same things. One is older and less athletic than the other and doesn't have better enough production to, to make up the difference, in my opinion. Like, I, I purely see Ayuk as a less athletic and older version of Rager. Um, so if they're going to take him ahead of Rager, I think that means they've kind of lost, they've, they've taken their eye off the ball or something. Um, I could just be wrong about that, but um, I think if you look at the tape of those two guys, it's pretty clear. Ayuk has it so much easier than Jalen Rager did. Uh, every Rager play just just looks like a like a building collapsing or something. Yeah. It's like he's he's got a he's he's like got to catch the ball while he's on standing on like the top floor and the whole thing falls apart and like he comes down with it sometimes. But it's like every time it goes to Rager, like three or four guys are on the ground immediately when the ball gets there and like sometimes he catches it. Uh, whereas with Ayuk, 
it's like he gets these he, he runs these plays well. I don't need to deny him credit for running the plays. It's just that I think Rager could run them too if he had it that easy. But in Ayuk's case, you look at these big plays and it's just kinda like he gets an okay, nice release, fine on a slant. It's like, yeah, totally decent. He's he's fast, he's explosive, I can see that. He catches the ball uh, and he runs past the guy for a touchdown. And it's like, that's great. I, that's cool that he can do that. But I think Rager could too. And I think if you had Ayuk play at TCU, he's not doing this basically ever. Uh, because with the Arizona State scheme seems to – it generates a nice amount of space for him to run through. And if you look at Frank Darby and Kyle Williams, their numbers are really good too at Arizona State. So to me, it looks like a generous system. And even if Ayuk is good, I just can't see any way to, to, to reason that he's better than uh, Rager – and maybe the same with Mims, although he's a little bit different than those two. So, um, yeah, Ayuk looks like he's going in the first round in the three-round mock I posted. I gave him to New Orleans. Uh, they, they could still use a field stretcher now that they have Emmanuel Sanders underneath. Don't know who else he would go to, really, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of confused as to the, the enthusiasm of these these scouts for Ayuk generally. So I, I'm kind of resigned to being surprised, however it turns out. Okay. Um, I, yeah, the, the Rager question, especially when you when you have it side by side with Ayuk, it, it you know it, it makes it tough because you know I, I just I've been toggling back and forth looking at uh, Ayuk's uh, combine versus Rager's, and it's like Rager's was awesome minus like the agility stuff, and you know we we've seen where that can be a little bit oversold in the t- in the case of DK Metcalf a year ago. Not that not that Rager's the same kind of guy as Metcalf, but uh, you know basically Ayuk had great jumps and. And a four five forty at a good size and everything, but Rager, like you said, had kind of maxed out versions of that and a faster forty that probably could have been even faster had he not packed on a bunch of uh, you know like muscle weight uh, right before the combine to maybe like check in a little bit heavier um, at two hundred six pounds there. So it's a when you pose it like that, it it makes it it makes you really really think about you know what separates the two really, and you, and you bring up the the team context there. So I think it's it's important that that people maybe take a a second look at Rager. I I'm just worried that the NFL kind of hates him right now, and it, it feels like he might fall out of the first round and well into the second. Whereas it seems like uh, as it stands, and like we've been talking about, IU seems way more likely to be ticketed for those first forty picks, maybe even the first round. Yeah, maybe. I think Rager will be fine with the NFL, though. Just He was a blue-chip recruit, and his dad was a pretty uh, well-known player in the NFL. And th- he doesn't reportedly have anything, at least that, not that I've read. I haven't read that he has any like character concerns or anything. So I think I think since he was a blue-chip recruit, that it's just, I think it's just going to be kind of like a West Coast scouts love Brandon Ayuk or, you know, that kind of – some kind of click reason for the, for the differing opinions, not necessarily West Coast – central or east or anything like that but just like this clique of scouts are, are all brandon iu heads and these are the these are the raider freaks over here and it's like they, they both have their factions throughout the nfl and and uh they'll they'll you know maybe be polarized but they'll they'll make sure their respective players get picked high enough but uh in any case despite my general skepticism toward iu as this you know top 20 sort of beast that uh, adam kaplan and some of these other people have been screaming about the past few days i nonetheless have to move him up in my rankings a little bit because i was assuming he'd be more like a third late second round kind of pick and if he goes in the first he's gonna he's just pretty much for sure gonna play 
uh, right away. So I uh, have to move him up a little bit. I think I had him at like 19 or something like that. I'll probably raise him to the same level as like Michael Pittman and those guys in the 15 sort of range. Okay, well, let's use this as a, as a jumping off point because – as we mentioned earlier, we, we have a Rotowire staff NFL Dynasty League uh, starting up uh, this year. We just got the draft kicked off. What was it, last Thursday, something like that, or last Friday? Something like that. Yeah, I can't um, remember. <laughs> yeah, the, it's, the time is just – Time doesn't real. No, it's, it's not real. real. Um, the only thing that's real is, like, uh, shaming the people that take too long to make their picks. But um, with that, I'm looking at, at the board right now, and we're talking about some of these guys here and the possibility of Ayuk going in the first round, he's still available in our league, and we just kicked off the ninth round. Yeah, so, you know, I can only tell John and and you guys so much because I don't know if Joe Bartle or somebody like that is listening, Uh, but he's in the league. Uh, It's it's a Rotowire office thing, so... Pretty much everybody, well, not everybody, only the Madison people you've heard on podcasts. But if you've heard a Madison person on a Rotowire podcast, there's a pretty good chance they're in this league. Um, So with that said, because I am not a Brandon Ayuk super fan, I don't personally feel any loss in saying, like, I'm not going to take him at my next pick. Uh, We're in the ninth round right now. It looks like Jerry Donabedian just made his back-to-back picks at the – this is a 14-team league, by the way. Uh, And at the eighth and ninth round turn, Jerry took Mike Gesicki, who I believe is his first tight end selection, and and then Sterling Shepard, who's probably like his fourth receiver or something like that. Yes. Um, And Chris – the the terrible Chris Benzine is back on the clock again. After taking OJ Howard right before uh, Jerry took Gasicki, um, but anyway, so we're at the ninth round, second pick. Chris Benzine is up. Uh, don't know, you can take Brandon Ayuk if you want, Chris. I don't personally mind. Uh, J- John might. I can't speak for him. Um, but yeah, I I have a certain idea of what I'm going to do. I have the seventh pick in the ninth round. Uh, my team's a little weird. I didn't quite anticipate it going this way. But uh, the setup is one quarterback, not super flex. It's one quarterback two running back, three receiver, tight end, and then two flexes, uh, two running back, receiver, tight end flexes, and it's PPR scoring. So because it's 14 teams and because you know there's so, you have to wait a long time in between your picks, I was kind of anticipating that there would be a lot of running back scarcity prices. And so I went into my picks open to the idea of taking a running back, and uh, like I, I would have taken – probably Dalvin Cook in the first round uh, had the seventh pick, but he went six. So at seven, I took DeAndre Hopkins. Um, But I, at that point was pretty much into kind of a zero running back kind of approach because when we have three receivers starting and two flexes and it's PPR scoring, I just figure with receiver being deeper than the other positions, I would try to spit, I would try to spend up there and and try to get a bunch of high scoring guys basically, and and generally avoid running back investment. And I'm hoping that I can get a bit of a surplus at receiver, you know, compete pretty well in the first seven or eight weeks of the regular season. And then, you know, maybe some other teams doing bad and they're looking to sell. And maybe, maybe I have two more good receivers than I need. And maybe I can move one of them for some running back that they're selling. And maybe I got a complete balanced team then. Um, But yeah, right now my team is imbalanced. I have Kyler Murray, who I reached for in the second round. I know that's a reach. Um, I was okay with it though, because I, I wanted to pair up Hopkins and him and, and also, I, I wanted to eliminate the concern about the quarterback position because 
with a long time in between picks, it's kind of easy to end up getting pinched at quarterback in a league like this. And it sucks in dynasty leagues when injuries hit at quarterback because it's like, you know, everybody's owned. So you can't just go pick up the crappy quarterback everyone hates because it's like somebody's got him as a backup, as a quarterback three or something like that. So I wanted to do okay at quarterback. And as much as I I have no delusions about Kyler Murray having like a Lamar Jackson or Pat Mahomes kind of impact, especially not this year. Uh, but I think there's a chance that he could pretty soon. And and uh, I figured I'm already invested in Hopkins. I might as well kind of follow that thread a little further. Nice. Uh, so I, I reached for him there and then I hammered receiver going uh, Cooper Cup, Calvin Ridley, Will Fuller. And then I went uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, my only running back pick so far. And then I went double tap at tight end with Tyler Higby in the seventh, Austin Hooper in the eighth. That, that second one, that Hooper pick was basically just me trying to penalize you guys for waiting on tight end too much. Uh, just, just a bitter spite pick. Like, um, it. yeah. So, need more. uh, yeah, so now now Chris Benzine has O.J. Howard as a tight end one, and Jerry has Gesicki as a tight end one. They might work, um, but it's like I think Austin Hooper is going to catch like I don't know eighty five passes uh, the next sixteen games he plays in Cleveland. So um, maybe I'll trade him. Maybe Higby gets hurt, and I'm just glad to have Hooper, something like that. Uh, but the, the the terrible Chris Benzine has taken Philip Lindsay at nine oh two. So. Uh, he's still chasing running backs. We'll see what his receivers look like. I, I don't know. It's looking looking like they might be a little dicey, even dicier than my running backs, perhaps. Ah, okay. Well, uh, to, to give everyone uh, the, the full view of Chris's team, he had the number two overall selection. Uh, went with Saquon because McCaffrey went number one overall. Uh, I think that was a pretty obvious call there. Um, then next, he had DJ Moore, Austin Eckler, CD Lamb, Todd Gurley, Christian Kirk, Mecole Hardman, and then the aforementioned OJ Howard and Philip Lindsay. So, uh, to be serious, uh, I guess Chris's receivers are totally fine. Like DJ Moore will be probably like an 85, 90 plus catch kind of player in the Joe Brady offense. Um, but yeah, his running backs are pretty loaded. So I, I think he could have used a little bit more win now at receiver i am i am still a believer in michael hardman i of course uh, you know i'm not moving from that stance uh but sammy Watkins being there does hurt it's not good uh it's good for the chiefs it's not great for uh Mikkel investors necessarily especially not for this year sure sure and do we know for sure that Watkins is playing this year yeah he uh had his contract restructured so uh they basically took seven million off his cap number and now he's gonna stay uh, on a one-year nine million deal so oh, okay. So yeah, that's, that's that's a good thing for the Chiefs. I mean, they're they're loaded again, uh, so that's that's good for them. But it's like if if Watkins had left, then Miko would get obviously a, a pretty big boost in the in the target count. And uh, as it is, he, he could be fine for Chris. He's got, Chris has loaded running backs. I mean, Saquon, Eckler, Gurley could be as good as any running back trio in this league in, in the next season. Uh, but. At the very least, it'll be tough to guess when Miko will go off. Uh, it's not. It's one of those guys. Like if if you're going to have him and if you're going to need him to do something this year, you might want to just kind of put him in the lineup and not think about it because you won't get any fair notice about when he's going to go off or when he's going to get two catches for twenty yards. Yeah, no, that that is a, a really good way of summing the way that things go uh, with Hardman at least right now. What about your team? How are you feeling about it? Okay, so I picked uh, number nine, so I was a couple spots behind you. Um, so I started things off in the first round with Nick Chubb. Uh, so, yeah, I guess we did start this 
draft shortly after our podcast last week where we talked about Nick Chubb a lot. So I had Chubb on the brain. And I also felt like um, after the top five running backs were off the board, McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliott, Kamara, and Dalvin Cook, I felt like Chubb um, was the obvious play there. I wanted to get a stud running back with, with my first pick, a guy that I, I know has his best football in front of him. I know still has a couple of years on his rookie contract, um, all that good stuff, and, and a guy that you know I truly believe in as a talent um, like Nick Chubb. And I was really intrigued by what you were talking about last week. And I think maybe this might have pushed me over the edge where it's like Stefanski coming in. Maybe the offensive line actually has a pulse this year, you know, that they add via the draft one way or the other. Uh, They start to gel a little bit more that they um, they adapt well to the zone zone run schemes uh, from Stefanski, you know, you know, in his days under Kubiak. Um, and under his tutelage. Um, so all of that um, was enough for me to be like, okay, Chubb is going to be my guy here. And uh, now I can worry about other positions and, and attack those really hard. So um, up next, you know, you can accuse me of being an Ole Miss fan and I wouldn't get too upset about it because um, I got A.J. Brown in the second round. I just love A.J. Brown. I've loved his game since he was a freshman in college. Uh, I just think that he's a stud, and, and last year was obviously only the be- beginning for him. Um, I, I think that we have another 1,000-yard season on tap for him. Things are going to keep getting better. Obviously, I wish that the quarterback situation was, was something that I could trust a little bit more, but for him to produce under those conditions last year the way that he did, very, very encouraging. So I was happy with going after him and then uh, wrapped it back around with his former teammate, uh, DK Metcalf. I know that there is some concerns you know, with Seattle's system and the fact that they don't throw the ball uh, nearly enough given the talent that they have in the passing game and obviously with Russell Wilson um, at quarterback but Metcalf's another guy where it's like man like it's only going to get better from here and I think the way that he ended his season last year as kind of the alpha dog in that passing game it's like man this is this is only going to get better uh, from here. He's so young too Mm -hmm. because it's like even you know let's say Pete Carroll coaches another two years uh, not that I'm convinced that he will well, let's just say that he does. Uh, and then, you know, at that point, DK Metcalf is going on 24. And what if Seattle replaces Pete Carroll with, like, Brian Dable or something? Then it's like, okay, DK Metcalf goes from a, whatever, 1,100 to 1,200-yard receiver to maybe just doing T.O. stuff. Uh, so, yeah, his level his weighed against his age is, is pretty insane, even if even if – there's maybe like a bit of a roadblock in the, in the volume department right now. Yeah. I, I guess like the one way that I can kind of like make myself feel better about it is that the target tree should be, you know, pretty consistent. Even if they're, yeah. it's not like they're airing it out, it's only going to him or, or, um, or lock it. It feels like. So I, mean, I think that the, the market share can kind of overcome the overall volume concerns that you might have, um, with that Seattle offense. And then, uh, my next pick, I'm having a little bit of buyer's remorse in the sense that I might have been just bidding against myself. The, the first four tight ends uh, went off the board in order of Kittle at the end of round one, Kelsey um, early round two, and then Andrews and Ertz in round three um, in the beginning and middle part of round three. So after them, it's I think it's pretty agreed upon that, that, that there's a fairly big drop off after those guys. Um, but 
I wanted to to sure up the the tight end position, and maybe this was more just uh, being mad that I missed out on Mark Andrews. Um, but I went ahead and I got T.J. Hawkinson's. Yeah, <laughs> What's that? I was gonna say I was gonna take Mark Andrews before D.J. Trainer did. That was I, th- I thought I was gonna get away with that one, and uh, that that kind of that kind of changed my whole plan for the draft after that. But yeah, I, I definitely get that, uh, that missing out on Andrews feeling. And I was going, I was actually planning on, on making Hawkinson one of my top targets. I did not anticipate him going as early as you took him, but I think that's one of those things like it might've been an overpay in terms of like the current market, but I'm not really worried about Hawkinson being a bust. Like I actually expect him to be, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to say something unfair expectation wise, but I think he can do Kittle kind of stuff. Uh, like he's 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 obviously a really dangerous pass catcher. He showed that at Iowa, where he was point blank better than Noah Fant, uh, who most people for some reason rank ahead of of uh, Hawkinson at this point, which is just madness to me. I think Hawkinson is clearly the better player, better quarterback um, too. Like, yeah, better quarterback. Um, but yeah, he's just he's just a much more skilled receiver I think and uh, he got off to a fast start last year before I got nicked up with whatever it was he was dominating in training camp and sometimes those guys who you hear dominating in training camp reports on who start fast and then fizzle out a bit like sometimes they just basically hit a rookie wall and and you know next year they they kind of more consistently show what it what, what they showed in training camp and I definitely expect that out of Hawkinson now he's going into his second year uh, but yeah I think he could be that kind of just uniquely dangerous and, and kind of uh, explosive, rugged tight end underneath. Like he was a really dangerous big play threat at Iowa, even though he only ran like a four seven or whatever. Uh, but he had those really great jumps and agility numbers. And when you watch the tape, like he makes big plays all the time. So uh, he's young too. So I I think Hawkinson will be just fine. Um, but yeah, I, I probably would have been in the market for him in like the sixth or seventh or something. Um, and yeah, then I was surprised at just how much everybody else was waiting on tight ends after that. Like, I, I don't think I should have gotten Hooper in the eighth and I even, even Higby in the seventh. I mean, this is a 14 team league and that guy finished the last six weeks probably as the tight end one. Like he, he, he I don't, I can't imagine anyone out produce him in those final six weeks or whatever. Uh, so yeah, the rest of the league, they're really punting at tight end and we'll, we'll see how it goes for them. But, uh, yeah, it's like we got some of the tight end ones in this league, are OJ Howard, Dallas Goddard. That's fine. Uh, Chris List does not have a tight end yet. Uh, Mike Doria took Kelsey. Pete Shanky took Zach Ertz probably in the third, I'm guessing. Yep. Uh, Tim Schuler, Paul Martinez have Evan Ingram. Kevin O'Brien took Darren Waller. Here's Harry the Thompson. next tight end after Hawkinson. Yeah, I was looking at Waller really closely too, but Kevin, uh, you got Hawkinson. Kevin got Waller before I really got a chance. Uh, Harry Thompson, our tech guy, who is actually very sharp with fantasy football stuff, he does not have a tight end yet. Um, so, yeah, there, there's there's some people. Uh, Jake Letarski is the only person other than me who double-picked tight ends. He's got Noah Fant and Hunter Henry. So uh, we'll, we'll see how the tight end situation settles. I can imagine some teams wishing they had a bit more there. Uh, but in any case, uh, I don't see much left there. It's like Blake Jarwin. He's obviously one of my guys. I, I would have been in the market for him, but I don't think I can really justify it now, now that I've already took Higby and Hooper. Uh, I don't mind saying it, John. I think I'm going to be looking at a quarterback at my next pick. Um, just because 
just because I was saying like this this isn't going to go up until tomorrow, right? So or, or it won't be until tonight. So these guys aren't going to hear it. Yeah. Um, I'm not worried about a uh, DJ or Eric or Tim and Paul uh, sniping a quarterback in front of me. Um, but yeah, it's just it sucks when quarterback injuries hit you in a dynasty league because you can't really react to it. And uh, you don't want to have to spend meaningful capital just to pry away a Nick Foles from some team who has them as their quarterback three or whatever. So I think I'm going to look, I'm going to seriously consider all of the, I don't know. Um, I guess I should think about Wentz in this group. I can't tell if I'm letting recency bias make me too low on him. Um, but I'm basically thinking about him Goff. I know he sucks, but like just padding the stats. He's padding the stats. That's all that matters. Uh, Matt Ryan, I got to think about, he's going to be like 34, 35, but maybe he goes still another good numbers years. for him. Still a top 10 fantasy season last year. Yeah. I'm seriously thinking about ignoring the age question with him just because he could be so good that I could maybe flip him, um, you know, to somebody else who's, a pseudo contender, but their quarterback sucks and they let me get a, you know, whatever, some, some sort of capital that I'm glad to receive, uh, that I, that I can't really act on right now. But yeah, Matt Ryan, Jared Goff, Daniel Jones, I guess I'm thinking about them, maybe Mayfield. Um, but I, I'm also noticing that a bunch of teams in our league here have no quarterbacks and sorry, John, I know you're one of them. Um, but I got, I wanted to see if I can get a run going at, at the positions that I don't need, uh, or sorry, that uh, getting a run, yeah, get a run going at the positions that I don't need. And if I take a quarterback here, I'll, I'll probably be done until I consider the likes of Herbert or Jalen Hurts or whoever. Okay, uh, L- luckily, for, later. luckily for me, if you do begin that trend, I think I can follow it without getting too hurt by it. And, you know, it depends on on which direction you end up going, obviously. But there's only one pick between you and I, and that, that's yeah. Chris Liss, who has Patrick Mahomes. So I think it, mm-hmm. he would be kind of crazy to go with another quarterback um, at, in the ninth round when he already has first round investment in Mahomes. So hopefully, I'll be able to to get my quarterback. Uh, this time around and you know uh, I was <laughs> considering just for the content uh, going after after Josh Allen just to like s- see what your reaction would have been so we could have talked about it on the podcast pick. it's like Mario I think I just ruined our friendship it's no man you you can pick Josh Allen it's okay I, I would never uh, end our friendship over that but it, it would have been a good pick actually T- Tim Schuler, he's a Buffalo Bills fan he got him and uh, let's see that's the Oh, God, he's, the, he's QB eight. If you hit, if you hit the grid, that was the hundred and eighth pick. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think Josh Allen can throw the ball very well. But as long as he keeps running, it's like you know, it's fantasy points. I can't deny it. So uh, good pick for Tim and Paul. And then you know, it's one of those. Even if you're skeptical of the guy, it's like the price is so low, you're not anymore. That's yeah, like that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, I want to touch on my, my last couple of picks here before we sign off. So after Hawkinson, I got a couple kind of win-now running backs in Raheem Mostert yeah. and uh, Damian Williams. I, I didn't feel great about either pick, but it's you know I can convince myself that you know I can re- – uh, running back is somewhere that you can readdress every single off season. Um, there, there aren't that many of like the true uh, foundational rocks at, at that position. So, guys that I feel comfortable with what their production is going to look like this year, and guys like Mostert and Williams kind of fit that bill for me. So, I mean, I, I will have to backfill at running back, and AJ Dillon coming off the board did kind of sting uh, just a little bit after that. But um, yeah, I, I felt all right about that, and then. I guess my my big question for you um, would be my next two picks. Uh, starting off uh, with AJ Green, is that a, 
a bit of an overpay given the market? Do you think I could have waited around on him? And do you think that there is legitimate upside still in the tank for him? Was that the eighth round? Uh, that was the seventh round. And then you took T. Higgins in the eighth? Yes. Okay. No, I think that, again, it's it's a 14-team league, so these picks are a little later than they sound like at a glance. Because, um, yeah, the uh, late seventh in this league, it's it's like if, if you got A.J. Green in, what, like the ninth round of a 12-team league. So that sounds pretty late. Uh, and, and a lot of these guys like Green and Higgins, too, are falling because people are chasing running backs. And because you only have to start two in this league, I'm not really – in on that chase uh, as you can see with my roster so i think green is more likely one of those guys who fell further than they should because of the running back inflation and of course you know i'm, I'm totally sold on aj green's talent and i actually kind of like the way that offense is setting up for him but uh if the durability is okay then he's i mean he, he's better than tyler boyd by quite a bit like yep. he's, not many players in general are as good as aj green when he's healthy. So uh, even a good player like Boyd is not likely to match him. So if he, if he plays 16 games, I mean, that could be, that could be a top 12 receiver right there. And, and if you're at all interested in winning now, then guys like him can kind of help you get there. Yeah. Um, That's what I was thinking. I think, you know, this offense really could be one of those, like, not not a sleeping giant but like an untapped resource of, of fantasy goodness this year because you know if the pieces line up if that offensive line gets a little bit better through the draft and joe burrow can come right in because he, he is the kind of prospect that needs to start performing right away in my opinion like it he doesn't get like that developmental like learning curve thing because he's of an advanced age like you know everyone knows he's like older than Darnold and and Lamar Jackson that that kind of thing so if he can come right in and pick up the offense and do well with it and AJ Green becomes that top target and he plays those 16 games last time he played 16 games he had a really dominant season I I am gonna go ahead and you know get a veteran receiver that I can trust uh the durability on a little bit more um a little bit later on I still need to address quarterback like we said but um when I already have AJ Brown and DJ Metcalf uh, going. Um, I felt like that was that was a, a bit of a, a risk that I was willing to take at that stage. Yeah, I, I, th- I think your team looks totally solid, and I, th- I think the AJ Green pick. Uh, also, it's important to stay on brand, John. It's like fine, make make a good pick if you must, but it, before making a good pick, you must make a brand pick. That's the most important thing. One hundred percent. AJ AJ Brown, AJ Green, DK Metcalf, the D- Nick Chubb. The brand is just enormous right here it is so uh, fortified but uh yeah what do you have any favorite team out of this group like i I think i can say uh first of all chris benzene i I refer to him as like the terrible chris benzene that's just i couldn't think of a nickname like a title for him but i was trying to think of like a a proper noun title for him that's ridiculous because of his uh his like villainous relationship with john uh they they kind of have like a a rivalry that that's amusing to watch uh his team is good though even though i referred to him as as the terrible chris benzene i oh i'm a believer in oj howard's talents less so of how Arians will use him, but those running backs, those receivers, they got a lot going on. Otherwise I I would like um, Joe Bartle, I think is is the person who I would pick whose team I like the most. And that's even with the Brandon cooks pick, which I didn't like so much. Uh, That's just because of the, 
the concussion worries and the Jared Goff worries, basically. I like Brandon Cooks. He's a talented player, but a little worried about that. But yeah, Joe otherwise has J.K. Dobbins and DeAndre Swift. Yeah. Treat Cohen, who was one of my running back targets. I was I was going to take Cohen before Joe did because uh, I, I think he's too cheap in PPR scoring so far this offseason. And then in addition to Cooks, he has a pretty sick trio, I think, of Tyreek Hill, Marquise Brown, Robert Woods. He's got George Kittle. Uh, I would like Jake uh, Latarski's team quite a lot, too, if not for the Noah Fant pick. But even with the Fant pick, uh, Dak Prescott, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, James White, Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs, Hunter Henry. That one sounds pretty good to me, too. Yeah, so I I think that, um, yeah, those are definitely among the strongest ones that, that, that definitely uh, pass the eye test. And, you know, this is more just knowing who's behind this team. But, uh, you know, I, I have to think that Jerry uh, is up to some good things there, even even if some of the guys I wouldn't have necessarily put uh, right there. I mean, he's a guy who had the first pick. So uh, that, that obviously has to shape your strategy the same way that, that it does for Joe, who was picking on the other end of round one. But uh, getting Juju in, you know, in a spot where you definitely wouldn't have been able to to get him last year and then also yeah. getting Cortland Sutton I think he's one of the better developmental pieces that, that's ready to really take off this coming year uh, Michael Gallup I go back and forth on but I think overall I do like him at that value um, in the four in at the end of round four uh, carry on Johnson uh, maybe the Ronald Jones pick ends up being a bit of a waste there and, and Sterling Shepard has injury concerns of his own but if Burrow comes in as his quarterback and does well, um, I think he has a really nice uh, base there, especially um, at the receiver group. And, you know, having McCaffrey is a bit of a trump card, at least for, you know, until the wheels fall off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, there's no fish teams in this league, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe the next couple rounds will help help someone pull away from the group or whatever. But so far it looks like it's a pretty uh, close race, I guess. Yeah. So this has been a really like fun exercise and, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how, how this league shapes up and we'll have to, uh, we'll have to include a link to the draft order or something so people can see the whole, the the whole series of the picks in this. Yeah. Yeah. Does, um, does MFL let you do like do that for like live draft or a draft that's like still ongoing? I feel like it should. It did with that Sirius XM one that I did like a week ago or whatever. So oh, okay, all right, we'll get that figured I'll, I'll see out. if we can find that, and we'll tweet about it or whatever. If you guys want to see who took who, where specifically. All right, beautiful. Well, with that, that's going to wrap things up for this week's RotoWire NFL podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.